The title of the message this morning is Raised to Life, the event that changed everything. Before we jump in, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we commit this time to you. Lord, we ask that you would help us to engage as if our very lives depended on it, that we would be wide awake to what, Lord, you want to say to us through your holy word. God, we thank you that we could gather like this. Uh, we thank you that, for technology that allows us to gather. We pray, Father, that you would help quiet all the distractions, both within and without, both in our own minds and hearts and, Lord, around us, that you would help us to focus and to hear what your spirit would be saying through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The resurrection of Jesus is a big deal. Nothing is more central to the Christian faith. What did God accomplish through it? And would anything change if it didn't take place? You know, since Jesus has been raised to life, what does it actually mean for us here and now? I want to explore 1 Corinthians 15 together. Let's begin in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared uh, to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, or has, has been raised from the dead, I'm sorry. Let's go back, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are to be found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. 
Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. And we'll stop there. Okay, there's a lot in this text. You might have just read that for the first time in your life. And you're thinking, okay, what do you want me to grab from this? Well, there's three things. First, remember and hold tight. Remember and hold tight to the gospel announced to you. Second, what if Jesus hasn't been raised? It's a question we need to ask because it's a question that the Corinthians were wrestling with with regards to the resurrection of the dead in particular and its effects. So what if Jesus hasn't been raised? And then third, but he has been raised. So now what? So first, remember and hold tight. Remember and hold tight to the gospel announced to you. All of us are feeling the weight of this pandemic. I mean, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of grief. There's struggles of all kinds. And you might ask, man, why is this happening? And listen, there are no easy answers. But for centuries, Christians have answered the question of suffering and evil, not by trying to defend God, but by first identifying with others in their grief, and then second, by telling the story of Jesus. You see, the story of Jesus is the story of God entering human pain and suffering, of God stepping into this broken world and and taking on the stuff you and I are made of, flesh and and bones, and, and going so far as to the point of death, death on a cross. Why? So that he could overcome death through his power and love. Paul wrote this letter of 1 Corinthians to encourage and instruct a group of followers of Jesus in the first century who lived in the city of Corinth. This was a church. And they had their own challenges and fears and uncertainties. And they had questions and a lot of misconceptions. And Paul's addressing those challenges and, and those misconceptions. He's pastoring them. Verse 1 of chapter 15, he, he says, I'm making known to you. In other words, he's declaring or impressing upon their hearts the gospel that he had already announced to them. Basically, he's saying, hey, let me, let me go over this message with you one final time. Let me say again what I've said before because Paul wants the Corinthians to experience renewal. He wants them to go back to the start, the place where they began. And so he's announcing this gospel again. In other words, he's saying, I want to give you I want to give you what you've already received. Why? So that you'll hold on to it all the more. And church, that's exactly my prayer for you. I want to give you what you've already received, the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. And I want, I want us to hold on to that truth, that gospel proclamation, and run with it. It's interesting in uh, Peter, actually 2 Peter chapter 1 Peter, towards the end of his life, I just picture this very, well, he's very seasoned by this point. He's writing this letter to the dispersed church, the persecuted church. And here he is 
He could say anything. And what does he say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12? He says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Uh, Peter knew he was going to die. And he says, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, after I'm dead, you will always be able to remember these things. So, so he's saying, listen, I'm going I'm to remind you of the things you already know. I'm going to put in front of you the truth of grace and love and Jesus, these, tr- these things you've already embraced. I'm going to do it again so that when I'm gone, you'll be able to remember these things all the more. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. No, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He said, we we didn't make this up. We didn't come up with some clever tale. We were eyewitnesses. Let's go back to Corinthians 15. Verse three, Paul lays out the story of the gospel in capsule form. I mean, in this punchy summary, what does he say? For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas or to Peter and then to the 12 and after that he appeared to more than 500. So here is this gospel presentation again to the Corinthians in capsule form. And he's saying, listen, I didn't come up with this on my own. I didn't make this up. This isn't a make-believe kind of fairy tale story that I'm telling you. I received it. I received it and I brought it to you as of first importance. This is priority. If we're going to start anywhere, Paul's saying this is the place to start. Now, he's been writing for 15 chapters to the Corinthians. And so now, as he starts to wind down his letter, he's saying, listen, let me take you back to the start. Let me take you back to what's absolutely vital and of first importance. And he says, this was all according to the scriptures. I just love that. His death, his burial, his resurrection. All of this is according to to the scriptures. And I don't want you to think a bunch of proof texts just to pin to these statements. Like, okay, let's find all these, these proof texts, these passages that back up what Paul's been saying. I mean, we can do that. I don't think that's where he's going with this. He's saying this according to the storyline of the Bible. You see, the story of the Bible has been pointing to and anticipating these events ever since the beginning. So according to the storyline of the Bible, according to the scriptures, this is where it's been going. You know, I don't know about you, but right now in our time of quarantine or staying at home, we're doing games, we're doing puzzles, and, and recently we had a Christmas puzzle uh, that our neighbor gave us, a thousand-piece Christmassy kind of, I call it the scary snowman puzzle, a bunch of snowmen just staring at us, and it's, it's scary to me. Weird birds and snowmen, too many snowmen in one scene for me. But here we were putting this puzzle together. I contributed one puzzle piece. I found one puzzle piece that connected to another, and I was like, Done. You're welcome. Anyway, so Valerie and Shay really put this thing together. And here they are. They are committed. Valerie, I think, looked at this as, as pretty much uh, of first importance. It was like her, her job. <laughs> she was very committed to this thousand-piece puzzle. So here she is putting this puzzle together. And uh, when it came to that final piece or those final few pieces, it was like a ceremony for us. And we were just like, all right, this is it. I mean, I can't believe it. It's, already, it's, it's, it's come together. How, how long did this take? And we never, we never did anything like that before. The boys hadn't. I certainly hadn't 
put a puzzle together, a thousand-piece puzzle. So here we were, uh, a few puzzle pieces left, and we were all gathered around the table, and we laid it in. We're like, ah, wow. It felt good. It, It came together. This has all taken place, Paul's saying, according to the scriptures, and like that final piece to a puzzle, these events fit perfectly. They bring to completion God's story of redemption and love, and it's to be celebrated. Paul brings the Corinthians back to the start. One author says it this way. The idea is, he's saying, man, go back to your roots. Learn to live in light of this unified story that leads to Jesus. Learn to live in light of this unified story that leads to Jesus. How does it impact your life now? Verses five through seven, he speaks of eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses are presented to us. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, this isn't folklore. This isn't mythology. He talks about Jesus appearing to Peter or to Cephas, then to the 12, and then over to to over 500 at one time. In other words, uh, Paul's saying, listen, you can go talk to these people right now. Though some have fallen asleep, some have died, uh, most of them are still alive. Go talk to them. I'm not making this up. And then he says, he appeared to me, to Paul. Paul was completely caught off guard, by the way. You know, if you're familiar with Paul's story, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus when he was on his way to persecute those of the way, of the way of Jesus. He was, he was trying to shut down the church. He was trying to shut down those who belonged to Jesus. And Jesus got in his way and he appeared to him. And he says, man, I, 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 he's humbled by it. You can tell as he's writing. Then in verse 11, he says, listen, this is what we preached and this is what you believed. And we brought this to you and you believed it. You embraced it. You made it your own. Your life has been shaped by these truths. Your life has been saved by them. And so essentially he's saying, now hold tight. Don't let go. So the first thing I want us to hear from this, remember and hold tight to the gospel that's been announced to you. The good news. Gospel means good news. The good news of what? Of who? Of Jesus. Jesus, our Savior. God's provision of redemption. That final puzzle piece that that brings it all together. The the unified story that leads us to Jesus. Hold, Hold on to it. Don't let go. Second, what if Jesus hasn't been raised? What if he hasn't been raised? Well, where do we get this question? In verse 12, some in Corinth were actually saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Now, the details aren't given. I imagine they were influenced by false teachers. But listen, the resurrection of the dead was this absurd thought in the first century. And we actually see this in Acts 17 as well when Paul is actually in Athens and he's proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection uh, to this group of philosophers that all all they do is talk philosophy. And what happens after he presents the the truth of Jesus and the resurrection, it says in, in Acts 17, verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Nobody likes to be sneered at. I don't know if you like to be sneered at. I don't even like that word. But they sneered, like scoffing at him, mocking him, sneering. But others said, oh, but we want to hear you again on this subject. 
It goes on to say that some embraced Christ and followed Paul's teaching. And so there was a mixture of response to the preaching of Jesus and the resurrection in, in, in Athens. And there was a mixture happening in Corinth as well. But what had happened is that the popular belief that there is no resurrection of the dead had begun to influence and infiltrate the belief of the church of Corinth. You know, today, the resurrection of the dead, we could say, is just one of many beliefs that you can hold loosely to. You just just add it to the pot, that soupy mess of spiritual beliefs that you are fine to embrace or not. At least that's what our our culture would say. You can embrace this so long as it doesn't infringe on what I want to do. The church in Corinth was being influenced by this popular belief. And that popular belief was being weaved into the fabric of their Christian faith. And church, this happens today. It just trickles in. And the way to see it, the way to, you can identify if the popular belief of our day is trickling into our, our faith is to ask yourself, well, what does it do to Jesus? Does it downgrade Jesus at all? Does it, does it put him on the same level as other gods, lowercase g, gods? Does it cause us to ignore his calling? Does it cause us to neglect his holiness? Oh, we could, we could ask, you know, we could say things like, well, Jesus wants me to be happy, so why can't I, and then you fill in the blank. You just give yourself to all kinds of things because culture says you deserve it. You're of age or, you know, you've been single long enough or you should be giving yourself to this. Everyone else is. And so culture, just, it just trickles into our belief system and it weaves its way in. But has it, has it downgraded Jesus? And it gets tricky. It's hard to see it sometimes. But this is what was happening, I believe, in the city of Corinth. And it's as if Paul is saying, listen, follow your beliefs all the way. If you don't believe there's a resurrection of the dead, follow the consequences and the implications of that belief. Do you know what they are? And here's, what, here's where he begins just to lay it out. If the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, are you ready for this? Our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And then he just goes down the list. Verse 15, we are false witnesses about God. If Christ is not raised, we are false witnesses about God because we said God raised Christ from the dead. Verse 17, your faith is futile. It's useless. It's pointless. It's empty. And you are dead in your sins. If the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, you are dead in your sins. And those who have passed away already are lost. Verse 19, if we hope in Jesus only in this life, he's saying we should be the most pitied of men. If we're hoping in Jesus only in this life, I mean, what's the point of being a follower of Jesus to be hated and persecuted and to walk in self-denial If the dead are not raised, what's the best that we can hope for? Well, he goes on to say, let us eat, drink, and and be merry, for tomorrow we die. He calls them later to come back to their senses, to stop sinning, to stop giving themselves to belief systems and actions that they know are wrong. Come back to your senses, he's saying. There are people who don't know God, and he's saying this to their shame. He's saying, represent the risen Savior Paul doesn't tiptoe around the issue. He actually paints a very bleak picture. You want to embrace this belief that the dead are not raised? Okay, follow it all the way. See where it leads you. If Jesus has not been raised, 
then all this is ridiculous. But he has been raised. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. And that's why we're gathered together on this Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Sunday. Jesus has been raised. But he has been raised, Paul says. And I I want you to follow, essentially is what he's saying, I want you to follow the consequences of that truth all the way. What does it mean for you as a follower of Jesus here and now and forever? He goes on. Let's, Let's read it again in chapter 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. He was talking about in Adam all die, but in Christ we have life. So what's he saying? Jesus is the first fruits of those who have died. He's the first pickings of the harvest. Uh, the first fruits, the first pickings of a harvest. They, they tell a farmer, oh, that the harvest is coming. There's more after this. There's more to come. So Jesus is the first of his kind. That's what he's getting at. And there's more to follow. He's the first to be raised to life in bodily form this way, never to die again. And then verse 22, it lays out the logic behind why Jesus even had to die in the first place. It was mankind who sinned against God, who rebelled and who decided God couldn't be trusted. And it was the man, Jesus, fully man, fully God. But the man, Jesus, the new Adam, who obeyed God the Father and decided to trust him all the way to the cross as our new representative, our new head, and in whom we become new creations and we experience a new humanity, new life. Because of Jesus' resurrection, a brand new world has just opened up for us, truly. A world where sin is not our slave master anymore. A world where death does not have the last word. You know, this COVID-19 pandemic has changed the world. It's never going to be the same again. I mean, we're waiting for a cure. We're waiting for a vaccine. We're eagerly waiting for that. I know you are. I am. We want this thing to stop. The reality of mankind's brokenness and sin, listen, that day of rebellion, Genesis, listen, it changed the world forever, never to be the same again. The depth of our brokenness and sin, the impossibility of getting out of it on our own. Romans 6, 23, it tells us that the wages of sin, the only thing that sin will actually earn us is death, this separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think of this. The only thing that we can earn is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Galatians 3.13 reminds us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Curses anyone who hangs on a tree. He, He died on the cross and became a curse for us. So the resurrection of Jesus is the good news of God's final defeat of sin. It was in Christ and his death and resurrection that sin and evil and death itself was defeated. It's the cure for our greatest need, greater than COVID-19. Verses 24 through 28, it's filled with messianic language falling on Psalm 8, verse 6, and Psalm 110, verse 
uh, one. And these Psalms speak of this coming king who reigns. All things are placed under his feet. Jesus rules and reigns as king, Messiah, the long-awaited for uh, anointed one who will come and deliver his people from oppression and darkness and sin, and he's done it. Everything under his feet. But the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. And so the heart, the very heart of the church's message from day one has been, has been these truths. I, I want to show you in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. What did Peter proclaim? Acts chapter 2. The church was just a day old. And here's what he proclaims. Acts 2 verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So you see God's sovereignty over the whole thing and man's responsibility wrapped up in there. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Impossible. This group that was gathered that day under Peter's preaching, man, they were gripped by what he was saying. They said, what do we do? What do we do in response to this? No, we killed the author of life, but now he's raised. Death couldn't have its, keep its hold on him. So what, what do we do in response to this? And Peter says, repent. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from living for yourself. Turn away from everything that you're, you're trying to uh, live for apart from God. Look to Jesus as your savior repent and believe be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus put your full faith and trust in him and the same response is for us today maybe you're hearing this message for the first time and you're just like gripped by it and you're thinking to yourself what do i do what do i do in response to this risen king you own up to the fact that you're a sinner in need of grace that's where you start but then you remember the grace that God's provided in Christ. He's not left you just swimming around in this, this, this muck and mire, this, this brokenness that we all have. He's not left you there. He's provided a way out in Christ. Repent. Own up to it. 1 Corinthians 15, it goes on to say, uh, I want to jump ahead into verse 51. We haven't read it yet, but let's read it now. Verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my, my dear brothers, sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Verse 51, he says, listen, look now, focus your attention here on the guaranteed results of the resurrection of Jesus, on the certainty of what, of what you can stand in. And, and Paul, in verse 55, he taunts death by quoting the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Hosea. And in song-like fac- fashion, in the face of his greatest enemy, in the face of our greatest enemy, what does he say? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And I imagine uh, that scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is standing in front of that demon uh, giant. And he, what does he say he he stands there and he says you shall not pass he stood his ground you shall not pass and the hobbits got away i love it one of my favorite scenes paul is looking at death in the eyes and he's saying where is your victory where is your sting death like a poisonous snake whose venomous fangs have been just ripped out of his mouth. Death just stands powerless and ineffective to do what it's always done. We cannot pay the penalty of our sin. We can't overcome the power of our sin, which is death. But Jesus has done both for us. He's paid the penalty. He's overcome the power. I heard the story of a father who heard his daughter screaming and crying out in the yard and he runs to her and he, she's running from a bee and uh, she, she's just like, Daddy, this bee is going to sting me. He's going to sting me. He's, and, and the bee was just all around her and, and the father grabs his daughter and he holds tight and she feels his embrace and then a moment later she feels his body tense up. Just tense up and he winces. And then he opens his arms and he says, honey, you're okay now. The bee has stung me. And bees don't sting twice. Where, O death, is your sting? Death has been defeated in Jesus. The wrath and the punishment that we deserve has been poured out on Jesus There is no more penalty there for us. Jesus has taken it. And so in verse 57, he says, he gives us the victory. It gets real personal, doesn't it? Verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. Us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 58, which is the passage that I want plastered over my gravestone, truly. I love this passage. First, there isn't a verse that I've looked to more for encouragement. There just isn't. Verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. It's, and, and what I love about it is that it stands over death and sin as this banner, as this proclamation. It, it kind of basically says this. Hey, death. Hey, death. The resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee of my, of my past deliverance out of sin and shame, of my future resurrection, and of my present strength to stand my ground. And it's a clear reminder of your defeat. So yeah, I want that on my gravestone. It's settled then. Verse 58 is basically saying, hey, we can give ourselves to the work of the Lord knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not, it's not futile. It's not worthless. It's not empty. It's something. We can give ourselves to the quiet service of God when, when no one sees it and it feels pointless. We can give ourselves to investing in others when we don't see the fruit, but God's honored in it. 
We can give ourselves to that work that he's called us to do to steward his grace and pour ourselves out for the kingdom. And it's not for nothing. All of this, this resurrection, uh, 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 this resurrection life that Jesus brings, this defeat of death, all of this is like fuel to the flame of our faith. It's the energy that we walk in as Christians. So, so listen, if you're, if you're uh, here with us today, if you're watching this, you're live streaming with us, and you're a Christian, the resurrection should be a, a motivating power in your life. Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection and fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It should be a motivating factor, like fuel to the flame of your faith. It should bring joy here and now and confidence that you can move forward in the work of the Lord, knowing it's not in vain. But then if, if you're not a Christian, but you're, you've been on the sidelines, sidelines looking in and you're, you're curious and you're, you're eager and now your heart's starting to race and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've been listening to this for however long and, and I believe this, now what? Well, the now what is to put your faith in Jesus. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another day. Just start where you are, right? Just like all of us had to. Own up to the fact that you're a sinner in need of grace. Go to him. Get on your face before him and say, save me. I need you. And he'll do it. He'll do it just like that. And then start this journey with us to move forward in confidence and in the joy of resurrection life. Jesus is alive, church. Jesus is alive. He has brought life. He has brought deliverance. He has brought hope. Enjoy, yes, in the face of this COVID 19 pandemic. And I know this pandemic is this sobering reminder of the frailty of life and how out of control we are. But listen, the resurrection of Jesus is a powerful reminder of God's victory over sin and death. It is the event that has changed everything, and that includes you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. 1 Corinthians 15, what we have laid out before us is this beautiful summary of what's most important. God, help us to hold on to it with everything in us, to remember and to hold tight to the gospel that's been announced to us. And, and may the resurrection of Jesus and these truths just continue to capture the hearts of our friends who are listening, who might be on the sidelines. Lord, would you draw men, women, and children to yourself and bring them to a place of hope and trust right now in your son. And for us who know Jesus as savior, may these truths be the fuel to the flame of our faith and spur us on that we can with confidence, stand firm and let nothing move us. Always giving ourselves fully to the work of you, Lord, that it's not in vain. Amen.